to another episode of Paranormal, The New Normal. I'm your host as always, Jeremy, here trying to make the world seem a little more normal. These days, that's hard to do, but tonight, are we going to accomplish that? Yeah, I think we made to some degree. So, but as always, I have a guest to help me do that. And my guest tonight is Jack LaFountain, author, blogger, and paranormal researcher. And you'll see why in a little bit, I guarantee you that. But first things first, how you doing tonight, Jack? Oh, doing great. Glad to be here. Glad we can get you on. I've been looking forward to this interview. Yeah, me too. But, but, but let me ask you the first question I ask everybody on this show. What got you into the paranormal? Well, I think um, more than anything else, what got me into the paranormal, I really didn't understand it until I got older, was that uh, I, w- I was a reader from a very early age. And uh, I found out later when I began writing, one of the things that uh, writers want to do is they want you, they want the reader to suspend disbelief in whatever it is they're writing about uh, and get into the story. And long before I ever knew about that, I was, I was just very uh, easy to fall right into the story, uh, become a part of it with, you know, with the characters and, uh, you know, do that that suspense of disbelief so whatever you know whatever the the author was telling me you know i I was in there i was with it and a a lot of the the very first things that i can remember reading uh were edgar Allan poe's stories uh and that kind of gothic horror uh, just kind of became uh the my normal reading my normal books that too and then i i also uh grew up on the universal monsters you know dracula frankenstein wolfman creature from the black lagoon uh well universal but godzilla the original godzilla from that time um i watched those you know saturday afternoon at the movies watching all those uh vincent price does edgar Allan poe movies so i you know i was uh very much into things that were paranormal you know the paranormals uh just things that can't science can't prove or disprove and that's always just kind of really all my life been my normal because those were the things that i was into uh those are the places you know my my thoughts ran to uh even even so today i mean i get it i get into when i'm writing a story it's i'm i'm into the story into the, whatever paranormal's happening there i I tell people sometimes, uh, well, I'm off to New Orleans. And really, when you when are you leaving? When are you going? I'm like, no. Uh, you know, in my mind, I'm off and, and I'm I'm actually, you know, I'm there. I'm with the characters, I'm in the story, the the paranormal workings of it, you know, the I, I love werewolves, so uh six of my novels are where they're werewolves or the Louisiana Rougarou are part of those stories and that's you know that's kind of um, the way I grew up, and that's that's the way I still think. Which is, in my opinion, the best way to read a book is to truly immerse yourself in it and feel like you're there. Which is yeah. why I, which is why I'm a huge Stephen King fan because his books let you do that. You can literally picture the street that the character's on the way he describes it. So he he, he does. I I I read a lot of of Stephen King, especially early you know in early in his career too. Uh, and I always thought his characters were amazing. Yeah, they are. And the fact that he reuses them in different stories is just adds to it. He made he made multiverse a thing before it was ever a huge thing in the movie world. So, 
I right. gotta I gotta always throw in props for that. But right, and, yeah. and that's that's one of the things. Not everything that he does, I I mean, like, but that's one of the things I've tried to do in my stories is have characters show up in different stories. Uh, a lot of not not a lot of people that I know notice, but I pointed out to him in in Stephen King's book. If you look in a lot of his books, there will all there's there's a character named Dwight Fry. Yep. It, that continues through the books, and if, you know, if you research it, Dwight Fry was was uh, Renfield in the original Dracula. Or the, the you know the nineteen thirty one Dracula, he was also Igor in Frankenstein. Hmm. Very famous character actor, but yeah, his his name shows up frequently, uh, just as a side character in Stephen King's books. I did know about that, and it's just one of those many like Easter eggs that I found online over the years when I was researching Stephen King. But right, yeah, I love. It. I mean. I, just, I love that random flags in pretty much like a book every five years he writes like random flags the villain it's just like right. yeah it's yeah random flag character yeah he's just pure evil and everything he's in but but well we're gonna and we're gonna talk about werewolves in a minute I can't wait for that discussion but <laughs> I, I of course first have to ask you have you oh, had yeah. paranormal have you had any paranormal experiences that made you want to write this type of stories? Uh, I have, I actually haven't, haven't written the, the, um, probably the thing that got me most involved in it. Although, uh, I did write it as a short story, um, anonymously rather than putting my name on it, but, uh, I'm on, I'm on about my fourth career now. Uh, and the second one was as a, uh, as an ordained minister and, uh, when I was working through the process of becoming ordained, uh, I was assigned as a, a pastor to a small, uh, not really a rural church, but not a big city church in uh, South Central Oklahoma. And when I got there, the uh, the the pastor that I, I was replacing uh, kind of took me on a tour through the place and um the, the building was sort of a shotgun building. And as you, you walk from the, the sanctuary of the church and as you, you, you went straight through there, then you went through a couple of classrooms or the pastor's office and into a large hall that they had on the back of the building that had a kitchen and that's where they had dinners and things. And then on the other side of that was an apartment and that's where the pastor lived. And just on the, on the first walkthrough, as we went through, um, the kitchen area and we we did a tour of the building and my wife said to me uh did you feel anything strange when we went through the kitchen and i said yeah as a matter of fact i did and um eventually we became we we became pastors of the church and and people we found that people were uh, afraid to go through there afraid to go hmm. through that part of the building and um uh, even and it, and it seemed to get worse the longer that I was there. Uh, to, it got to the point where my wife and kids would not go into that room. And and the like I said the the apartment that we lived in was was connected to this room by by a door. And actually, the freezer that we used were, was out in this kitchen. So if you wanted something from the freezer, you had to walk the length of this room. And strangely enough, to get to the light switch, you had to walk across the room to the other side of the room to flip the light switch. My wife and kids would not 
go into that room by themselves. Uh, in in one case, my my oldest daughter, it was uh, summertime, and she was she was in actually in the in the church itself, uh, playing on the piano, and she heard the the heater kick on. And it just it got unbearably hot because Oklahoma summer times, you know, 100 degrees is not abnormal anyways. It was that kind of heat and then the heater running full blast uh, until, you know, and she was getting very, very warm in there. But then what what finally got her out was one of the doors swung open by itself and she was. I'm out of here. And she never, again, never was going into any part of the building. I, I, I felt it some, and I often wondered why the, the pastor that was there before did, you know, really did nothing, did, didn't do anything about it. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, it, it got worse over time till, and eventually I, I moved <laughs> my coffee maker from out of that fellowship hall into my office. So I didn't have to walk through there. Um, uh, not that I was really ever afraid. It was just, it was just a feeling, a, really a rather malicious feeling that you were being watched and whoever was watching you didn't like you. Um, mm. I happened to be in the church itself one day praying and I, I just happened to look up and through this door that opened when my daughter was talking, the door didn't open, but this thing floated right through the door. And it was... Uh, sort of like a shadow but more there was more substance to it than a shadow it was it was more three-dimensional more like a mist and very black and it you know it it came towards me uh and it, it was you know just a very threatening presence and mm. i you know i basically rebuked it commanded it to leave i when i did that and i don't know where i got not being afraid, but I wasn't afraid at the moment. I actually felt very strong. Um, but when, after I did that, I felt a breeze go by me and the, the back two doors, which was the main entrance to the church, those doors rattled like a car hit them on their hinges. And, um, that was the end of it for the time. My wife said a couple of days later, said, you know, it, she, she actually pinpointed me, said, did that thing leave? And that, you know, that was in there because she, she thought it was an entity. And I said, yeah. And it was the idea, you know, it was kind of, well, I don't know that it's, it did leave either that, or it wasn't the only thing there. And a couple of weeks later, sort of the same, same thing transpired with me and, uh, after, after that, after the second time that this happened, um, uh, everybody felt better. Um, uh, they would come and go in the church, you know, back and forth through there. Uh, I did have a similar, uh, occurrence happen at a different, uh, different church that I was pastoring. Um, I worked, I worked night shift uh, as a nurse and I pastored the, a church as well. And I happened to, I've worked, worked all night. And then I had some things I had to do at the church. I went to the church. And when I finished with that, I laid down in one of the pews and went to sleep. 
and I woke up feeling like somebody's staring at me. You get that feeling and uh, looked up and I didn't see anything, but I could, I could sense the presence. It's almost like, you know, you can, somebody's so close to you, you can feel their breath on you, that kind of feeling. And uh, I jumped up and uh, kind of followed uh, around through the church, kind of tried to follow the feeling where it was going. Um, never was able to, to pin that down, but uh, those are the, of course, there, you know, on, on the other end, I actually did have one experience, a, a positive experience. Um, I was at a point where I was uh, very depressed. I happened to be out walking and uh, this fellow came walking up beside me and we just started talking as we were walking along. I had a couple of miles to go to get to where I, where I wanted to be. And we were talking and uh, I just began to feel better. The depression began to lift. I began to, you know, just have a positive outlook on everything. Uh, he, he said, well, I, I, I've got to turn here and, and go that way. And he pointed to a building that was nearby. And uh, so I, you know, told him goodbye and I looked away. And then I thought of something I wanted to say. And I looked back and he was gone. And it was a couple of hundred yards in any direction to any kind of cover. He just vanished. Uh, was it an angel? I think so, but I, you know, I couldn't swear to it. But uh, it was something not of this world. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I could believe that. I mean, it's <laughs> one. I'm still picturing the first story you told about the first church where I'm picturing your wife getting out of that kitchen like Scooby-Doo in a cartoon, but just feet in the air, whoosh, <laughs> gone, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was. I, haunted churches are not uncommon, which it's understandable, of course, too, because. No, yeah, it isn't. Uh, yeah, I've, I, like I said, I've pastor, I've run into several instances and then as a nurse as well, uh, oh, never, wow, yeah. uh, of course I never, I never actually saw a ghost while I was working in the hospital, but do, do I believe there were some there? Absolutely. Uh, I was working in a hospital one night and the, one of the nurses aides that worked with me came screaming down the hall. Uh, she was terrified and it's like the little boy is in that room and I didn't know about it at the time, but they, they had a, sort of a, a hospital legend that there was this little boy that had died in this room and occasionally he would show up and she, there was nobody, there was no patients in the room. It was supposed to be an empty room. And she walked into that room to get something. And there was that little boy. And I, I did go down and investigate. I didn't, I didn't see anybody, but I did, I did go check it out. I absolutely believe she saw something that terrified her. Oh, I mean, hosp hospitals are. Oh yeah, full spirits. I mean, it's a, it's a place where people that are not ready to die are dying constantly. So, of they course, are. of course, it's going to be full of spirits. I've I've uh, talked to a lot of different people who have had NDE experiences while in the hospital, and right. the things they see while they're on the other side when they're having the experience, like in the hospital, are is can be ridiculous. I mean, it's almost mm -hmm. like that. Um, it's almost like that Patrick Swayze movie, Ghost, like the stuff that you see in hospitals. 
Yes, yes, very much. Um, I was working a, a shift one night in a little rural hospital. And again, I didn't, they, they, there, I, I knew about their resident ghost who, uh, he was actually a doctor back in the 1950s. And this was around 2005 when I was there, but in the fifties, he was a doctor there and, uh, he happened to get contaminated, heavily contaminated with DDT or some kind of poison and died in the emergency room there. And everybody swore he, he was still around. Um, they would see him in the halls down then. I never did. But one night, uh, one of the, one again, one of the aides was complaining about a creepy feeling. And I went to make my rounds through the, through the uh, medical ward. And as I went through, I, I came to, I went up one, one side of the hall and then I started back down the other. And the very first room I came to, the IV pump was off. And that's, it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be running. I, I adjusted it, turned it back on, went to the next room, same thing. All the way down that hall, every IV pump was off. And, of course, I got when I got done doing that, I, I went back to the, the nurse's desk, and I was about you know ready to give somebody a piece of my mind. But what are you doing turning off all my IV pumps? And... Of course, when I, I got there and mentioned that, it's like nobody did that. Nobody had been down the hall for a while, and nobody had turned them off. But something had turned up, hurt, turned them all off. You know, they, of course, the answer that I finally got from them was, "Well, it it was Doctor Johnson. He, you know, he does that occasionally." Hmm. That's. That's creepy. Almost no way, because that's something that could really affect somebody if he does it to the wrong yeah, person. It yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, and I've I've actually used Dr. Johnson in a few of my fictionalized stories. He, he has become part of uh, out of several stories. He's one of those characters that, you know, I'll carry around if I'm talking about a hospital. Uh, yeah. I, I include Dr. Johnson in that. Well, while we're talking about your books, why don't we jump over to them for, for a bit? Um, cause I was reading like the short blurbs about your books on your website and I right. am truly fascinated with a lot of them now, but I want to talk about the Ed Landry series. About the, which one? The Ed Landry series. Ed Landry. Okay. Cause I mean, as any listener of my show knows, I am a huge fan of Dogmen. Oh, okay. My, that's my favorite cryptid in the world. And <laughs> Since you wrote a series about them, basically, I'm dying to hear, like, well, you said you love werewolves, which, as much as I don't like the word werewolves, dogmen and werewolves are basically the same concept, and there are some differences in, in them, obviously, but, and people debate whether both exist or one exists or either exists, but, but what made you, what made you fall in love with the idea of werewolves? I don't know. I've, I've, <laughs> some people ask me, if I love werewolves because I have anger issues. <laughs> I said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, the, the idea is, and I when before I, well, or as I started writing the first Ed Landry book, I, I uh, had, did, did some research on what the Cajuns call the Rougarou. Yes. which is which is their you know their their version of, of werewolf and uh just you know really got absolutely hooked in the the idea 
and um, I set out writing the book. I, I had to, all I had when I and I write I write a lot by the seat of my pants. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't outline or plot out stories. Uh, I'll have a little bit of inspiration and I start writing it and. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get bog, bogged down sometime and I tell my editor, well, I'm the characters aren't talking when they <laughs> I need them to start talking. Tell me what's going to happen next. But I had the an idea for this one that uh, I kind of again, from personal experience, it was not not the supernatural part of it, but uh, I, I traveled a lot as a nurse and I, li I lived in RV for a few years and did travel nursing. And I had this little dog, and uh, one night she just went wild barking at the door. Uh, nobody around, but the idea for the story was born in that. And all I, all I had to start the story was, was there was a guy, he was getting ready to go to work, and his little dog runs to the door and, you know, having a barking fit like there's something out there until he finally gets creeped out and when he finally does decides you know he's got to go to work this is nonsense he opens the door the werewolf grabs him or the rougarou grabs him uh, and that that's what i had to start the story and i kind of did some research in that and uh finally got going with with this the story and uh you know a lot of a lot of people ask me you know, well how can, how can you be a christian and write these monster stories and i said easiest thing in the world um, they're about the battle between good and evil, you know? Exactly. I mean, it, <laughs> the same thing I talk about all that, you know, when I, the, when I did that, the uh, Bible full of monster stories. Like it's it, it, it is absolutely is, um, you know, and, uh, and not only, not only monsters, but, but creatures not of this world. Yeah. I mean, I, I was teaching a, a, a class on revelation. Uh, well, I still am, but a couple of weeks ago we talked about, a scene where they're they're only, the only thing the Bible describes them as are living creatures, but they're not any living creatures that are here on earth. Uh, but that's an interesting idea. And uh, I, you know, I told them it's easy as could be, you know, you, you read, if you read Bayou moon, which was the name of the, the first moon book, uh, this, the, the, yes, there's a Rougarou in the story, but the story's not really about the Rougarou. The story is about the sheriff who has to deal with the Rougarou, and he ultimately has to make a decision between what's his legal responsibility, his legal duty, and what's the right thing to do. And yeah, which, that's the essence of what the story's about. The, it, it, but it does it does revolve around the Rougarou, you know, killing people in town. There's a reason for it. And, of course, uh, I mean. But it make it's an interesting it's an interesting point of view to have for the book, and that's that's what made me want to read it because I I love any books that are about sheriffs, especially I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean uh, what do you call it? Stephen King's The Dead Zone, like right. the, the the sheriff is one of the main people in that story, and like I love the idea of well, I like the idea of I like the idea that cops can be corrupt, that they can be the bad bad guy sometimes, and they try to blame it on monsters, but. So it's, I mean, it's, I like that idea too. I don't know about, I, I don't know if that's where yours goes, but I'll find out eventually because I do want to read those. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He, he kind of, and, and that's, you know, kind of what birthed the series is at the end of Bayou Moon, there's some decisions he had to make about, about the paranormal. Is it real? Uh, 
which of course he was kind of left with the, you know, well, I guess it is because I've been dealing with it for, you know, uh, with this Rougarou and, uh, he, he continues to, to run into situations like that where he's, he's thrown into the, you know, into the, the, the trouble that's going on. And there's always a decision about, you know, do I get involved? Do, you know, do I, do I take up the fight? Um, what do I, what do I do? There's, there's, you know, some, some moral significance to it. Um, exactly. But again, it's just, it, it's just that idea of, you know, good versus evil. And, you know, a lot of times talk about people being good, you know, it's not that, in the in the book, the the sheriff's a saint by no means, uh, but uh, he you know he he's facing something that he's really not prepared for. It's just an or, really an ordinary guy, and he's faced with these extraordinary circumstances, things he didn't believe necessarily believe were were real uh, to begin with, and then he's got to battle his way through it. Yeah, which makes, I mean, that, that makes for a compelling story right there. And it kind of, well, you you you, you tell me that you were a uh, pastor for years kind of makes the second book series make a lot more sense in my mind. The Man of God <laughs> series, I believe it's called. Yeah, the Man What's of God that? series. It kind of makes the Man of, yeah, the Man of God series make a lot more sense. Because <laughs> you have the personal experience <laughs> for that. Yeah, well, the where the, the Man of God series came from... I, the very first um, book that I wrote, very first novel I wrote, um, is, is called Death Rides the Red River. And it's set in 1870s Texas. Uh, and it's about a fellow that comes home from the, you know, the, the war between the states. And while he, while he was away at war, he, he saw... Uh, this small troop that was made up of werewolves that and if he finds that both governments had weaponized werewolves to terrorize the other side and hmm. i actually wrote a short story about those two groups meeting but anyways he sees this this werewolf during the during the war and when he he gets out he goes he goes to texas and he um begins ranching but his his problems follow him he can't run away from him and the you know the the werewolf shows up there and along with a couple of the werewolf fighters and he ends up you know involved in the fight but uh, a, a friend of mine read read that book and um she didn't really like monsters so she asked me, said, could you write a Western story that doesn't have a monster in it? And then, hmm. all right, I'll give it a try. And that's that's where the Man of God series came from. Uh, it, 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 it has bad guys, but it doesn't it doesn't have any, you know, supernatural necessarily bad guys. Yeah, but I'm guessing it has possibly some otherworldly bad guys in a way, kind of, since it's a Man of God. Yeah, yeah, in a way. I mean, he has to he has to face things. Most most of the the things, the troubles that he has to face, the in the first two books, anyways, uh, 
have to do with his self, with his past. He was uh, he was a gunslinger and a bank robber before uh, he became a frontier preacher. And he's got, you know, most of the, the first two books he had is dealing with his past and, mm -hmm. you know, reconciling that to his life, at, you know, at, at the time. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, what's it called? I just it was just on TV for like three or four years. I forget. I don't know. I forget. I forget what it's called. It's a Western sci-fi thing that AMC did. I can't remember what the heck it's called. Oh, okay. or anything, right? Preacher. It reminds me of Preacher in a way, Preacher. kind of. Okay. <laughs> like right. like he has to face the other world of evils, but he also has to face his past and what he used to do before he was a preacher. So, but, I mean, it kind of makes it really yeah, in a way. <laughs> yeah, kind of lean that way. Yeah, going for there. But. And plus, who doesn't love who doesn't love a Western? I mean, West, Westerns are just classic good <laughs> storytelling. They are. I, you know, I yeah, I, yeah I, I, I love Westerns. And uh, in fact, I've just finished writing one today. That, that uh, I, I'm going to be out. Probably, you know, probably by March, but hmm. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I wrote it specifically. I'm going to um, Deadwood, South Dakota in ah. June for, uh, well, the Hickok weekend mm -hmm. and going to going to be part of a, a show with authors there. And so, you know, I kind of wrote this this one in mind. It's called Dead Man's Hand. Interesting. But those are not all the books you wrote because there is one book that I saw that well, actually okay. I'm not like okay, there's a couple more books you wrote that piqued my interest, but this is the one that really as soon as I saw the cover and I saw the title, this one piqued my interest. And that was Tracks. Tracks. <laughs> yeah, you see, see see my cup there. Whoops, if I can get yes. it to the picture. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I spent several years in the Pacific Northwest and heard lots of stories. Um, the, I, yeah, I, and I, I, I fictionalized them to a degree, but, but not really the encounters. I, you know, I, I people told me they're about their encounters and I included their encounters, but also made a story of it. Cause while I, while I like to, uh, listen to, you know, Bigfoot encounters, like to hear them, you know, I tell people a lot of times it's, and, and re, you know, it's rightfully so they, they sound like court testimony. Yeah. It's all about, I, you know, I, I was doing this, I saw this, this is, and this is what happened, which is what people, I mean, people who are, are telling their, their, about their encounters, they want to do that. You know, they want people to believe them. They want to stick to the facts you know, tell people what happened. And in, in tracks, I try to, you know, I stick to the facts that they told me, but made those a part of a bigger story. Uh, there, there are four stories, one for each season of the year. And uh, mm -hmm. it begins with, with a summer and the time periods shift back and forth are, are, each story is, takes place in a different time period, I should say. Uh, the first story is called The Haunted Warrior, and it's about uh, a Native American fella coming back from World War I from France, 
and uh, he's missing part of an arm. And he goes, he goes back to Washington state and you know, the only, the only jobs there are, are there for men are, you know, there's logging, there's mining, uh, there's fishing. And he's wondering, how am I going to get along with one arm? You know, how's it going to work? And anyways, I've, some events happen to him. He does find a job, but when he finds a job, uh, one of the people along his route uh, is carried away by a Bigfoot, uh, but they have the, the 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 Salish Indians in that area. That they called it the Seatic. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of kind of read up on their legend, and the the story follows their legend in that they were known to kidnap women from villages, and uh, he ends up being uh, part of a party that goes to rescue this girl who's been carried away. But the story, like I said, centers around the, the Native American legend, but included in there are, um, that happened to the people in the story, are events that <coughs> actually happened to them. And I, you know, included them in the story. Uh, the, 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 the oddball, I guess, in that book is the third story, the winter story in that book, is told from Bigfoot's point of view. Ooh. Uh, and I went through a whole <laughs> oh, In fact, I published a, a magazine article called uh, Becoming Bigfoot. Because when I when I set out to write it, you know, my my thinking in uh, in writing is to be you want to be as honest as possible. You, you know, the, whoever's whoever's getting into the story, they know it's fiction. I basically tell them, you know, I'm going to lie to you. I'm, I'm going to tell you this lie that's, this, you know, the story that's a lie. But in order to carry it off, I'm going to tell you as much truth as possible. So, you know, I went into a lot about, I, I talked with a lot of uh, Bigfoot researchers uh, and asked them, tell me, how do you know that Bigfoot thinks? And, uh, you know, like I had some tell me, well, I, you know, I've, looked in their eyes and it's like looking you know you look into a dog's eyes you can tell that there's feeling there's thinking going on i was you know okay i've i've never been that close to bigfoot to look into their eyes i couldn't tell you about that uh you know it, it and again it could be something else i want you know i want some concrete proof i want you to show me somehow that uh show me an instance of bigfoot thinking and I got, uh, finally got a, a call and uh, said, okay, I've, I've got your proof here. There's, here's a recorded instance where this, this farmhouse, a ranch house, was being visited by Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And they had motion lights out. And over time, they noticed that the Bigfoot learned that it was their motion and they got to a certain place the, that made the lights come on. They, you know, you, they could tell, they could tell they figured it out because what they did was took and planted sticks in the ground, sort of telling themselves, if you pass this stick, the lights are going to come on. Hmm. That's a, okay. Definitely thinking there. I did. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, anybody who knows, 
anybody who's in a Bigfoot at all knows that Bigfoot is a primate from what most people yeah. think. Uh, and like us, I mean, primates are, obviously have reasoning to some degree, depending where they are on the evolutionary tra- uh, scale, but they have intelligence to some degree always. And I right. mean, they could, fi- they could figure out how to do a lot of things. So, I mean, something like that is actually is brilliant though. Like that's, I never heard of a big story like that. And that's pretty unique. <laughs> really? I, I, and I, I did get one other call, which kind of, again, fit in with trying to tell the story is I got a, I got a, well, I, ta- I was chatting with pay- fellow on Facebook said, can I call you? And I said, sure, call me, call me. I, I'd love to hear what you have to say. And he was telling me about, uh, he's, he's a hunter and he lives in the blue mountains, North, uh, Eastern Oregon, Southern, Southeastern Washington area. And he hunts, uh, <laughs> he said, where I hunt, you drive in as far as the roads go. And then you hike for at least a day to get where I hunt at. There's nobody back there. Uh, and he was said, said he was coming home from a hunting trip and he got back to where he'd left his car and he was, he was packing the, the car up and he heard somebody talking hmm. and he, he speaks like seven different languages. And they're from all, you know, from all the different, different spots around the world. And he said, I listened to it and it wasn't a language that I knew. But he could said I could tell from the, the rhythm and the beat of it, it was language. Uh, although, yeah, like I said, the, the words or whatever didn't, you know, there was nothing even close to any language that he knew, but and it was going back and forth between two different spots. Huh. He said, the only thing that it could be were Bigfoot communicating. Yeah, I mean, it's been said that when they communicate, it's like a primordial speech, like from like when men first came out of the cave, like that's how they, like how they spoke back then almost, but maybe a little more advanced nowadays, but still not much, nowhere near a language we would recognize, but. Right. Or and even if, was, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, but it's also even been compared to like the way some Native American dialect went. Like they, because a lot of Native Americans believed that they were just another hairy tribe that lived in the mountains. Well, yeah, and that's that's the the one I talked about. Took place in in uh, near Puget Sound in Washington. That was part of their legend that the Seatic could speak all the native languages. He, he understood hmm. them. He could speak them. And uh, that they actually ended up communicating with them, but yeah, that was that was very much part of of, of their legend in that. And the idea of language worked for me for the story because, okay, I, I, you know, I heard this first story. I said, okay, they think, they think, but I'm going to tell a story, and basically, a story or a speech is thinking out loud. So what does Bigfoot call things? What does he call a cow? What does he call a person? What does he call this? What does he call that? And, you know, I, I said in the, the article that I wrote, I'm not as a, a, ambitious as Tolton. I'm not coming up with a dictionary in a whole language. <laughs> I, I wasn't going that far into it. Um, but I did try and work out, you know, 
what do they call things? And, uh, like the the name <laughs> the name I came up for them that they called people they called them they called us the hay because we you know we call back fortunes hey do, you know do this or hey do that so that was you know that's what they called us. Huh. Uh, but the the story is that this Bigfoot male he has a, he has a mate he has a little one it's the worst winter in a hundred years and it's all about what he has to do to get them through the winter interesting like a bigfoot survival story almost it, it was it, it was fun to write it, was, it really was I, I could imagine i mean that's there's so much creativity you could put into that trying to come up with like but it sounds like you actually put the scientific thought into it like how Instead of just making something up, you actually put the scientific thought behind it to be like, what would be the logical way they would do this? Which, right, yeah, that, that, that that's the kind of book I want to read. I want someone to just like uh, make up words, not not to Kate on Tolkien because I love Tolkien, but I mean, Lord of the Rings is an amazing world. Yeah, but but I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, I don't blame you not wanting to make a dictionary either because God, it's the amount of words <laughs> yeah. he made up for those yeah, books that's... is ridiculous. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The work that went into that that was is amazing. Like I said, I I was only going to plan to do this one, and that was so I, I wasn't going to do that. But although I don't know, I've I've been open to stories to do that. What when I wrote Death Rides the Red River, I only planned on doing the one, and <laughs> like the editor said, uh, no, we need another one. <laughs> write it, write another one, and so I you know I, I wrote a second one that came out in december i think november december just came out called death haunts the red river which picks up from that one interesting but, which it's funny because i just did a special back in december and then i saw one of your books that you wrote as well and i was like oh he wrote a book on krampus knock i love <laughs> i love i i had a guest on rissa miller who was a creepy christmas expert she like everything from all over the world that's creepy christmas she knows about it to the nth degree she does tours about it all the time around christmas it's and it was it was a fun episode like krampus not krampus is a very entertaining folklore from europe and when i saw you wrote that i was like "Ooh, he knows about krampus now i'm interested now i'm even more interested <laughs> yeah uh yeah that one uh yeah, it came out like September or October in time for Christmas, but it, it, it is all creepy Christmas stories, which I, I loved. I love to write cre creepy Christmas stories. One of, one of the things that got actually got me writing where uh, I was actually going to let people read it. Uh, I entered uh, a writing contest. I, for, I don't even remember. It was maybe the 80s, uh, but it was... Uh, an international ghost story, Christmas ghost story competition that was held by a, a group, and I don't think they're in business anymore, called Spine Tinglers in Northern Ireland. Huh. And I wrote a story for that, and I, I took third place in their competition that year. I thought, I'll try again the next, took second place the next year. They they uh, quit having contests before I could win, though, but... <laughs> It did it, it it did get me going every every year I tried to write a creepy Christmas story. And the one this year was was Krampus Knock, which and again I did some of that crossing of characters. Ed Landry is the fellow that meets up with Krampus in the story. 
Oh, nice, nice. And I mean, it's got to be interesting for you too, as well, because Krampus has some religious significance too. Right. Yes. Yes. So that's uh, got to be an. Which yeah, and again that, that going back that that also uh, uh, applies to the Rougarou. One of the differences between the Rougarou and the werewolf stories is that uh, one of the one of the ways to become a Rougarou is to break Lent for seven years in a row. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually just had I actually just had um, a podcaster from a Southern Gothic podcast that lives in that grew up in New Orleans on. Earlier this week, and he we were, we were talking about how like when you go to the New Orleans Zoo, there's a big statue of a Rougarou like right in the entryway. Yeah, so. yes, yeah, <laughs> I've seen that one. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, there's it's oh, I mean, of course, because of how religion played a part in human history, that religion plays a part in every paranormal story to some degree. There's always a religious element to every creature, at least somewhat, somewhat. I mean. Their Jersey Devil was born of Satan. I mean, it's right. just yes, it's uh, just yeah. the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, we drove around, kind of, kind of a, just a cursory look for the Jersey Devil this last summer or October. Back in October, I was in New Jersey. Did find a the uh, the Devil Tree, though. Ah, in in New Jersey, at the legend is if you. If you try and cut down the tree you'll you'll have a either die or have some very tragic accident happen to you uh, but i did find that and and went out there take a look i didn't try and cut it down though i wasn't <laughs> gonna do that yeah that, i mean well depending how big a tree it is it could be just people having heart attacks trying to cut it down i mean it yeah it, it it's a it's a large tree and uh you know there's it's been set on fire. You can tell their axes have been taken to it. Uh, I guess some people want to live dangerously. Apparently, which New Jersey is not the place to do that, and neither is Pennsylvania, from what I've been told, because those two states are full of different creatures. So, oh yeah, it's just. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, which it it amazed me almost because I found out from a paranormal investigator who works in Pennsylvania mainly that people have reported seeing dragons in the mines of Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Which, okay. which, I mean, I guess in this world, it's not out of the realm of belief for me, at least. But then I think back, and I'm like, well, I did this new podcast years ago called Dragons in the Bible, and it actually talked about dragons being mentioned in the Bible, I think it was eight or nine times. Right. So, yes. I mean, and, and they go back in folklore to pre-Bible times, even. So, it's they had to exist at some point, I think, and they had to, do they still exist? Possibly. I mean, I don't. I don't like to say anything's impossible, but I mean, well, sure. yeah, that's and that's one thing, right? You know, as a writer, I do is I play a game and I, I call it "What if," you know. And exactly. So anything's possible. What if you know? There's nobody out on the on the street today. Well, what if a a shipload of killer cockroaches from outer space landed and you know carried everybody away uh, that's just kind of the way i think about a lot of things like what, what can i do with that it's well i mean yeah you have the you have the uh effect you just gotta think of the cause so right it makes it makes sense like it's that backwards logic that works and that's how that's a good way to write stories because <laughs> i mean it's yeah just, that, 
Like and it's Stephen, just, King, Stephen King didn't have to explain to me first why Pennywise existed. He said to scare the shit out of me with Pennywise, and then explain how it existed at the end. But, yeah, 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 yeah. That and that works. I mean, uh, one one of the the groups of authors I read the first chapter to Bayou Moon for when I was writing it to a group of authors. You know, it was like, why why did you get us to like uh, the fellow's name is Delmer? Why did you get us to like Delmer and then kill him off? I said, well, you know, it's 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 a it's a paranormal and it's a murder story. And if you're going to have a murder story, somebody's got to die. Right. You know, please and to get you into the story. <laughs> exactly. And if you like the character, if you like the character, even when they die, then that's going to pull you in more because you're going to want to know why the person died. Instead right. Of just, oh, it's just the opening death in a horror book, like which most horror books have opening deaths at some point. But it's yeah. just I mean. To give them a reason to care, you gotta give them a reason right. to care, and and that's one of the one of the parts of the story is the the sheriff Ed Landry. He's got to figure out why. Why did somebody kill this guy? He's basically almost a recluse. The only place he goes is home and work. Why did somebody kill him? Uh, especially a monster. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, that was that was a good part of the story. One of the things they asked too is. It seems strange that they they like the characters, like, but what happened to the dog? <laughs> everybody, little, you know, everybody loves a dog. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had to I had to put in what happened to the dog. But uh, in the yeah in the story, he uh, he uh, Ed Landry has to figure out why the fellow died, and that's and is and the reason why it's one of, one of the I think it thinks is different about Bayou Moon. The, the movies I watched about werewolves uh, growing up, the it's kind of that, that good and evil, well, you know, Lon Chaney's character in The Wolfman, is, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Well, you know, he, he seems like a good guy. He's coming home to help his dad out. And, uh, but, and then he goes to a girl's rescue. He gets bitten by a werewolf and, you know, protecting her and, and then he becomes a werewolf and he starts killing people and he doesn't like the fact that he's killing people. He, he sees it as a curse. So, you know, did the good guy become the bad guy? It's kind of, you know, makes you think. Uh, and Landry has to figure out why this, why this is happening. And the difference in Bayou Moon from, the, I wanted to make a little different from like from the Wolfman stories is that the fellow who is the Rougarou wanted to become a Rougarou. He did it on, he became a Rougarou on purpose. And because he had a plan in mind. And, you know, I, I, I just like that idea that, and that carried over into Blood Moon. The same thing happens in Blood Moon. They've got a plan in mind. They, they became, actually, they became shapeshifters, but often took on wolf shape uh, because they wanted to. They had an agenda they wanted to attend to. Um, in in Voodoo Moon, my Rougarou in there, she doesn't want to be a Rougarou. Uh, as the story starts, she's she's been scared to, almost to death by a Rougarou, and she doesn't want to be one, but she ends up being one. Uh, <coughs> well, I mean that's yeah, that's a. I mean, I see. If I had the chance to turn into a vampire werewolf, 
I can't say I would turn it down. I mean, it just, to me, it just seems, one, you get to be so much more powerful. You get to be immortal. You get to be, if you're a vampire, I guess, I mean, werewolves are to some degree, depending what lore you go on. But it's just, like, there's so many advantages. I mean, you don't have a social life, but I don't care about that. I'm fine with that. I'll, I don't have one now, really. I got kids. Yeah. I'm used to that. <laughs> but Yeah, there, there is that certain allure to that, you know. that. Yeah, I mean, especially the vampire thing. I mean, vampires are a whole nother story, which have you ever thought about writing vampires into your series? I I, I did, actually. Um, the last uh, Ed Lander story is called Lover's Moon. Wow. Oh. Uh, Landry's love interest from Voodoo Moon becomes a vampire. Ah. And he's actually caught in a love triangle, and the two women, one is a vampire, the other is a Rougarou. And uh, those... <laughs> as I, every, when it, by the time I finished Voodoo Moon, everybody was like, we're really concerned about Ed's love life. He, <laughs> he never seems to get the girls. So in Lover's Moon, there's two girls. <laughs> Uh, and he's got to, you know, work out his feelings and his survival, too. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. I mean, kind of like a Twilight-esque uh, love bit, triangle yeah. there. But, I mean, I'm sure it's done ten times better than Twilight ever was done. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> Twilight is trash. But, yeah. and this is, from, this is from someone who's read Vampire and Werewolf books for 30 years. So, yeah. Yeah. But. Oh, uh, but so why don't you tell my audience where they can find you, where they can find all your books, just promote yourself to the fullest. Oh, you bet. Uh, you can find me on Amazon Author Central if you take a look. But um, my website is jacklafountainauthor.com. Uh, all the books are on there. Um, I have a blog that I write that that's on the website. Or you can find me at my publisher's website, and my publisher is House of Honor Books. So, houseofhonorbooks.com. Uh, not only find mine, uh, you can find the other authors that, uh, you know, that they publish. Uh, most of them are not, they're, they're more fantasy. Some are uh, thrillers. Uh, we do have one that uh, the author wrote that was a big fan of Twilight Zone. Her stories are very much like the Twilight Zone stories. Um, so there are a lot of different things on there. Or you can find me on, on Facebook.com slash author Jack LaFountain. Which I, of course, will put your website right into the description of this podcast yeah. because I, I do that for all my guests just because why, yeah. I, I want people to read your books because I definitely want to read some of these. I'm going to add them to my long list of books I have. I have <laughs> piles of books around my house from people that have been in my show that I, they sold me on their books and I wanted to read them. Between podcasting, kids, and work, it just doesn't have time for it. Even, but. Exactly, yes. Uh, and yeah, to, that's, to, that's one thing that's allowed me to write. I, I retired about, well, in 2019, early 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of turned me loose to write. <laughs> Yeah, plus I got my own two uh, monster dogs, mastiffs in the basement that keep me busy too. So, oh, right. cool. Uh, yeah, yeah I've, my yeah, I've had dogs, and they're part, yeah, like I said, part of my story. Uh, if you pick up the book Tokens of Perdition, the very first story in there is called "The Ghoul Next Door," uh, and again was a 
inspired by one of my dogs. We were out for a walk at a usual place we walked, and he just refused. This was a 90-pound Malamute, and he absolutely detucked his tail and refused to walk down this trail for three days. And, of course, my what if took over. Okay, what if? <laughs> this is what's I mean, down the trail. I will say, if I'm in my backyard at night with the dogs, and all of a sudden one of them, the, 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 my, big girl, my big girl starts barking at the woods and I can't see anything, I start to get a little scared. But oh, then, yeah. the, then if the little one, who's only six, seven months old at this point, if he starts barking, that's when I'm like, oh, because he never barks at anything. So really? if he starts barking, like it's like, in the house, dogs, now, house, now. <laughs> well, that's, that's what people told me about that one. You know, I would, again, I was researching Bigfoot at the time, and uh, that's Bigfoot. And I told him, I, I called around, and I, I all around, we lived uh, on the shores of a lake, and I, you know, called all around, searched all around. Anybody had heard of any bears in the area, any cougars around, because both of those are there. Uh, and nobody had seen anything. Nobody else had had any problems with it. Somebody said, you got a Bigfoot in the neighborhood, which, and I'm not, I, I wouldn't deny it. There were, were definitely uh, a couple of Bigfoot sightings by a deputy sheriff from the, that county uh, just a few miles away from there. Uh, I, I believe it. I mean, the Pacific Northwest is full of Bigfoot. I mean, right. that's their, that's like their home base. I mean, well, I mean, they're every, they're all over the world, but the, the, that's a part of the world that they're very enormous quantities in, right. unlike other parts of the world where it might just be one solo one traveling on its own, trying to find a new home or something. But right. I mean, we don't, we suppose we don't have Bigfoot right where I live down the road, about 20 minutes in Lemister State Forest. Maybe there's supposed <laughs> to be Bigfoot there, but so could they travel 20 minutes by walking? Yeah, I'm sure. But we, but we also have the bears, the fisher cats, the uh, moose, and everything else in these woods. So you never know. Yeah, there is. It, it there could is, be anything. There is local legend here in North Alabama, where I'm at, near Huntsville, um, of a, a creature they call the white thing. At uh, some people think it's a white bigfoot. Some people something else. I don't. They don't they're not really sure what it is. They just call it the white thing. I mean, skunk apes are supposed to be white, and they're down south, so yeah. that would make sense. But I want to thank you for coming on, Jack. It's been a really fascinating hour. The hour flew by. I couldn't believe it when I looked <laughs> up and I saw the time. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's been, I had just been so fascinated. I wasn't even paying attention to the time, but I'm. it's perfect. It's going to be a great episode. a great time. Yeah, me too, and I can't wait for people to hear it. But to all my listeners, you know where you can find me, and I will be back in half a week with another episode for you. Until next time, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. And Jack, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, and thanks we'll, a lot for having me. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on. Uh, whenever, you, whenever your book's coming out, just hit me up. We'll have you back on. I'll gladly help promote you. All right, great. We'll do it. And You can, of course, find me on Facebook as Jeremy Bryant. Or on Facebook as Paranormal New Normal slash Maniacal Music Musings podcast with the S Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the gram as that juggle bastard. And you could find me, of course, on TikTok as that juggle bastard podcast and on YouTube as Paranormal New Normal. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on everything we do if you're interested in seeing more. Patreon material coming soon.